From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. People with Alzheimer's disease can develop disruptive agitation, and some of those symptoms can cause even more distress than the loss of memory for the person and for their caregivers. A study is underway at Upstate to determine if a particular blood pressure medication can be used for treatment, and I'm talking about that with Dr. Sharon Brangman. She's overseeing that study. She's the chief of geriatrics at Upstate and a former president of the American Geriatrics Society. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Brangman. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start with a definition of disruptive agitation. What is that? So agitation is one of the behaviors that is grouped uh, in people with Alzheimer's disease, and it can occur in 80 to 90% of the patients. And it is excessive activity, either physical movement, such as pacing, or it could be um, striking out or hitting. It could be excessive verbalization, either yelling or screaming. It can be aggressive behavior, hitting or verbally aggressive, saying mean things to caregivers. It's a group of behaviors that's very, very disruptive and stressful. It's stressful for the patient who's experiencing it, and it's also stressful for the caregivers or the family members who are taking care of the person. Does a person with this agitation have it all the time, or does it come and go? It really depends on the person. Uh, it's, it can be intermittent. Uh, there is a, a, a phenomenon called sundowning, where towards the end of the day, people with, with Alzheimer's disease can get more agitated. And we don't quite understand the phenomenon, but it seems to be related to changes in light perception. And during the end of the day, we see people maybe start to fidget and pace, Maybe they scream or yell, or they're very hard to approach. And it can be very disruptive because it's often near dinner time, and then people may not want to eat, uh, or they can't sleep or relax, and the evening can really get started in a very negative way. So what is currently done, or what do you currently uh, recommend to people to help control this? Well, it's a very individual process, and we have to look at the patient and what else is going on with them. Uh, we always try to try to try a non-pharmacologic or a non-drug approach first. So a lot of this is based on education of the caregiver. If we can figure out what the triggers are, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. It could be the approach to the patient, how something is presented to them. Sometimes we don't know what the trigger is, and that can be just as challenging. We can try things such as putting on some bright lights, closing the curtains, maybe putting on some music that might be soothing, offering a snack or a treat that they might enjoy. Sometimes we can work on distracting the person and bringing up uh, maybe a pleasant memory or activity or something else that they can focus on. Uh, but sometimes that does not work. And if the agitation gets to the point where the person can harm someone else or harm themselves, then we have to start to look at other interventions. Now, I think you said 80 to 90% of people with Alzheimer's may exhibit disruptive agitation. What about the 10 or 20% who, who don't? Do we know 
what to attribute that to? So we do not understand all of this. We know that um, Alzheimer's disease is a brain disease and nerve pathways are breaking down. And in some brains, when these nerve pathways break down, it leads to overstimulation of some parts of the brain that can cause this agitation, but not everyone gets it. Some people have trouble sleeping, some people sleep a lot. So it is very hard to predict, and that is one of the challenges of taking care of people with Alzheimer's disease, because we can't do a one-size-fits-all model. We have to really tailor our approach to that person. Now, the study that you're overseeing is with the blood pressure medication Prazosin. What can you tell us about this medication? So Prazosin is a medication that has been around for a long time, and it's been used to treat high blood pressure. It's also been helpful in men who have a big prostate, which might limit uh, urine flow, and it helps to improve flow um, from the bladder. It is a very effective blood pressure medication, but for a number of years, there has been research that shows that it may help people with neurological problems such as post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, certain behavior problems and mood problems. And it has been looked at for managing agitation in people with Alzheimer's disease. Are there side effects to be aware of? Well, because it's a blood pressure medication, it can lower your blood pressure. And that is something that has to be watched very carefully especially looking at what happens to your blood pressure when you stand up. Now, normally when we stand up, after a couple of quick seconds, our body adjusts and it increases blood flow to the brain. And uh, with this blood pressure medication, all blood pressure medications may reduce that blood flow to the brain and someone could get dizzy. So one of the things that we do when we're treating high blood pressure in older adults or any adult for that matter is to check the blood pressure in two positions to see if it drops too low when they stand up. So for this trial, one of the things that we're gonna do very closely is follow blood pressure, taking the blood pressure when they're sitting and also taking the blood pressure when they're standing. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Upstate's Chief of Geriatrics, Dr. Sharon Brangman. She's overseeing a study of a blood pressure medication that may be able to help people with Alzheimer's disease who have disruptive agitation. So tell us about the study. Is it like one that researchers from Seattle completed in 2015? So we're one of eight academic centers in the country that are that's looking at this issue. And what we're going to be doing is um, giving people with uh, disruptive behaviors, and by that we mean behaviors that occur at least five times a week, and that they are causing disruption, interrupting care, causing stress to the caregiver and or the patient. And we're going to be giving them uh, prazosin or a placebo. And as you know, a placebo is the dummy drug. It's not the real medication. These patients are going to be randomly assigned. That means we won't know what they're getting. And we're going to use um, a computer mechanism to pick who is going to get the drug and who is going to get the placebo. 
with this particular study, two out of three people will actually be getting the study drug. So that um, usually it's a one-to-one -one ratio where one person gets the drug and one person gets the placebo. But with this particular trial, it's going to be a two-to-one ratio. Now, in terms of volunteers, does age or gender or race or geographic location, are you looking for diversity in all of those categories or? Well, well we're always looking for diversity at, uh, at all times because we want real world information about people who have this disease. And this is a disease that affects every, every person, gender, race, it is mostly a disease of aging, but we do see people who are in their 50s and 60s with Alzheimer's disease. Is there anything that would disqualify someone from participating? So this study would exclude people who have any psychiatric problems such as schizophrenia, if they have Parkinson's disease or maybe a brain tumor, if they've had any unstable medical illness like heart failure or chest pain or a recent heart attack, they wouldn't be eligible for this study. Also, if they have any infectious illness or any severe respiratory problems or cancer, they would not be eligible for this study. We do know that as we get older, there are other medical problems that tend to occur with Alzheimer's disease, uh, but as long as those are stable, in general, the, the person would be considered for this trial. We do have a process at the beginning for determining who is eligible. So if there's any question, we would ask people to call and then we can be more specific depending on what that person's problems are. Let me give that phone number, uh, 315-464-3285. And also the email address, Jerry Research, G E R I Research at upstate.edu. But I also want to ask you what's involved in the study? Uh, if someone signs up for this, how many visits or what, what are they in for if they sign up for this? Well, it's about 13 visits, and um, the study partner has to be someone who is either living with the patient probably living with the patient and has very close contact with the patient. So clearly if somebody has advanced um, Alzheimer's disease and behaviors, they are generally not living alone. This is somebody who really needs a dedicated study partner. And the study partner will be taught how to check the blood pressure. We will be giving out uh, equipment so that they can check the blood pressure. Um, we will also be meeting with the study partner on regular intervals to see how things are going, uh, to ask questions so that we can get an idea of whether there's a response to the medication or not, uh, or whether um, their behaviors are still escalating or bad, and we do have a rescue medication that we are able to give for people uh, who are having ongoing behaviors so that we, we have close contact with the study partner. And as you may know, caregivers, the people who are providing the care are often very isolated. They often cannot get out of the house or do anything that they need to do because so much of their time is spent taking care of this person. 
So this study gives that caregiver that extra support and contact, which may be very helpful. During the trial, how do you determine whether the prazosin is, is helping or, or how quickly might someone see that there's an effect? So this is all part of the study and this is what we're going to determine. There are special assessment tools that have been shown to be useful in uh, evaluating behaviors and we will be administering those tools and that will give us information. We will collect this information and then we look at it at the end of the study. How do you uh, get consent from a patient who has Alzheimer's disease to participate in something like this? Do you rely on their caregiver mostly or? So yes, this is clearly a vulnerable population. So we have to work very closely with their healthcare proxy. That's the person who makes decisions for them in their place. It is usually their caregiver, or if it's another family member, we talk with the family member who has the ability to give permission in place of the patient. Now, will participants be able to continue taking the medication after the trial ends? So after the end of the trial, we will discuss follow-up care. And that all depends on a number of factors. And we're trying to follow the national protocol. So there is a, a period where we don't know who's getting the drug and who's getting the placebo and the, the blinded period where we don't know what's going on, which drug they're getting is broken at the end, and then we discuss the follow-up care at that point. So someone who's in the study who got the placebo, they would also discuss follow-up care. Would they potentially be able to get the medication? Uh, it really depends, and it's, it's very dependent on the person. But in general, when the study ends, um, the medication isn't given anymore. However, this is a medicine that is available right now. It's been approved. Um, it can be used in any way that's helpful once it's approved by the FDA. So that will be the bigger discussion is, is this a medication that we want to keep administering? Well, let me remind listeners the phone number to call if they're interested is 315-464-3285. And the email is jerryresearch, G-E-R-I, research at upstate.edu. Now, what information do people need to have available with them when they make the call or when they send the email? What do you need to know up front? Well, we want to know if they have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. We want to know if the person is bed bound, if they are bed bound and do not get out of bed, uh, they would not be eligible for the study. It's okay if they're in a wheelchair. We would want to know if they have um, prior problems with blood pressure control, particularly low blood pressure. Uh, we want to make sure that the patient is able to have some conversation or some language. This is a way of determining how severe their Alzheimer's disease is. Uh, and then we have to review labs and their medical history. So all of that is uh, discussed with the caregiver when they call. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Sharon Brangman. She's the Chief of Geriatrics at Upstate and a former president of the American Geriatrics Society. 
I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.